Welcome to Garden Society. We are a sisterhood of women exploring holistic ways to rejuvenate from the rigors of daily life. We are wives and moms, sisters and girlfriends, bill payers, breadwinners, multitaskers, and peacemakers. We invite you to explore the possibility of elevating every day with our favorite plant. Grant yourself permission to chill out, smoke a joint, and get inspired to find your joy with us on Garden Society, the podcast. This gathering of the Garden Society is now in session. Hello, everyone. We are so happy to be back with Garden Society, the podcast. Today, we're talking about scaling without tipping the scale. So, Erin, what does that mean, scaling without tipping the scale, growing without like falling off the edge of the cliff? (laughs) Basically, I mean, I think it's really a perfect time to talk about this with Garden Society and everything we're going through with a growing company. The more sales you have, the more invoices you have to make, the more logistics there are to manage, the more you have to up-level your team and surround yourself with people who can bring you forward into the next growth of your company. And we're so excited to have Tahira here with us today to really kind of dive into this topic and really tap into your expertise to hear on everything you've seen and been part of. Yes. So welcome to Tahira Ramatula. <laughs> All right. Did I get it right, Tahira? You nailed it. Yeah. So, good. <laughs> so talk about power women. I was reading your bio. So Tahira has a background and expertise in branding, operations, strategy, all things that we are figuring out as we build Garden Society. Tahira has been named one of the most powerful women by Fortune Magazine and Complex. She currently serves as Managing Director of Hyper Ventures, a venture capital firm that specializes in cannabis, as well as CFO of MTech Acquisition Corp. And Tahira, I would love to just welcome you. Thank you for taking the time today. Tahira is back from a trip of about six different locations she lists. Countries. Six <laughs> countries. <laughs> and is now back home in New York. So thank you for being here today. Uh, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I would love for you to just, in your own words, give us a little more of a background. How did you come to be where you were s- sitting here today? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I ask myself that often. Uh, So to start, you know, I got into cannabis uh, after business school, which is really one of those interesting inflection points where you can go in any which way. Um, I started looking at cannabis actually from more of a personal perspective. My grandfather, while I was in business school, was suffering from cancer. And for me, that was really the first time that I had someone close to me who was um, suffering from a, you know, stage four cancer and, and really seeing it much more firsthand and also seeing, I think, the impact that it had on my mother, who was his primary caretaker through that process and just started really digging into cannabis itself and why it was illegal and why it was unavailable in, in formats that made more sense for people who were suffering from various illnesses. Um, and then was really fortunate to have a role with privateer holdings kind of fall in my lap uh, not too long after I was looking at it myself. So I figured um, what better time in my life to take a a big risk and a leap of faith and go into something like that and figured there was a strong chance that I could be unemployed and uh, in a lot of debt from business school three months into that. But I I also thought it might be maybe one of the more interesting things that I get to do in my life. 
Um, and fortunately, five some years later, I'm still here. So obviously, it, it worked out a little. Bit. Definitely, um, congratulations. Yeah. That's a great <laughs> story. I, I can't imagine. I guess. <laughs> no, it's a great story. I can't imagine what this industry would have been like five years ago because of how much it's changed, even in the last three years. So how much yeah. you've seen it really change from the OG cultivators and legacy family farms all the way through where we are today with technology and innovation. It has to be really inspiring and I bet really dramatic at the same time. Yeah, you know, it has its pros and cons. And this is something that I talk about actually more often now with people who I've known since, you know, what you call perhaps the earlier days of cannabis, 2013, 2014, even 2015, people coming in at that time versus what the industry looks like now. Um, and, it, and it's really night and day. I mean, to be honest, part, sometimes I'm like, man, how did we get here so fast? I was not expecting to be here so quickly. And I kind of miss elements of the earlier days. And, uh, you know, when we saw an article about cannabis in any publication, it was a really big deal. Mm. People didn't talk about cannabis so openly. It, it was still something that wasn't reported upon. And, you know, now I feel like I'm just, I'm overwhelmed by how much news and conversation there is about cannabis that I, I drown a lot of it out. Um, and, and so it's, you know, there's some positives, there's some negatives, obviously there's big money in the space now, but at times I, I worry that that big money and the hands that the industry has kind of fallen into is, is not where I wanted it to be, at least and not, not at this stage. And, you know, you're kind of fighting some of those elements of just the natural, natural progression of an industry Definitely. that maybe I thought it would take 10 yeah. years to get to as opposed to five. Yeah. Well, we joke, we joke that cannabis years are dog years. So I'm like, how am I like a 49 year old veteran in cannabis? <laughs> <laughs> that's like, ger- that's like geriatric pregnancies. Yeah. We joke a lot about. <laughs> so were you in New York this whole time? No, when I joined the industry uh, and joined Privateer Holdings, I lived in Seattle. Okay. Uh, that's where Privateer is based and lived there full time for about a year and then started going back and forth uh, and splitting my time between Seattle and New York when I was working on a brand called Marley Natural, which is one of the portfolio companies of Privateer. At, at that time, we were we were building out the brand, we were starting it from scratch. Uh, so we built a lot of it while I was in Seattle and then decided to base the brand in New York. So as I was building a team out here and, and getting things up and running, um, was kind of back and forth. And then eventually, um, when I left Privateer and Marley Natural, I decided to kind of settle back in New York mm-hmm. full time. but. Really, I'm only here half the time. I would say I live on a plane. (laughs) United.com. I just think it's so interesting. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think it's so interesting to hear perspective of like so many things that you're saying are things that we relate to. But here in California, I feel like sometimes we get a little bit like, or at least I do, a little hyper-focused locally in this state. And I forget to look out at like whatever. I look at it at a federal level, but not necessarily state by state. So it's fun to just hear your story having started in Seattle and now you're in New York. And it just reminds us and reminds our listeners that like, this is an international thing. This isn't just here in California. This isn't just here in the Bay Area. Um, And just, it's like hearing similar struggles across state lines and across the world, but also the differences of, of opinions and things that are happening. So it's just an interesting kind of perspective. I think I'd love, I mean, I'd love to just dive in. So 
Garden Society, we've really been like building the company. We're starting to scale. As Aaron mentioned, we're just launching our Series A, and this this episode will launch in a few weeks. So it'll be real. It'll be different to hear like what's actually happening then. <laughs> what's happened three weeks from now? <laughs> but in your position, Tahira, what are you really looking for when you're looking at like a smaller entrepreneurial company like ours? Um, with scaling without tipping that scale. Like there's there's kind of what we've found two, two ways that people are going. They're either like bootstrapping and really staying lean, mean team like Aaron and I, where we're working really hard and it, it's all positive, but it's definitely like we're taking on a big workload. And then there's other companies that really invested in personnel early on and they've got a big team, but they don't necessarily have the revenue to support that yet. So it's just, I'd love your perspective on like the different ways that people can go in terms of scaling. Yeah, you know, I think it depends on what the business is and, and what kind of environment you're working in. And I've certainly um, you know, invested in businesses on both sides. I've also built a business in the space and it started with a pretty lean team and actually built into uh, a sizable team that we had uh, after I left the business. You know, a lot of them ended up getting uh, let go uh, and downsizing the team. And so I think that what you have to assess when building out these structures is is what kind of vertical are you operating in? Um, how asset-like can you go until what point of time? Um, because really a lot of that is you're, you're trying to get your burn rate as low as possible to get to a conclusion that warrants revenue generation at a sustainable level. Um, and it's a trade-off, right? Like one time one of my a creative director of mine at Marley Natural said, "You can. There are three things that everybody wants, and you can only have two of them. Um, you either want, you know, it's, it's time, design, and money. And between the three of them, uh, you can only have two at a time, realistically, right? You always have to cut down on one thing. And I think it's not necessarily confined to those three elements, but there's always something that you have to sacrifice in order to get something else. And so, for often for a product company." Um, you know, I like to see a little bit more of, of asset light and, and headcount light because I want to know that the product is relevant, has been produced well, can be produced well. You know, you can scale up in that capacity. Adding headcount is often not as uh, difficult as, as people set it up to be, but when you get to a certain number of people in your organization, cutting them is really difficult. You know, going through that process of having to lay, lay people off or realizing sometimes it takes people a while to realize they need to let people go. And there's such a drain on resources in that period of time. Uh, and it's a difficult decision. It's not one that should be taken lightly, but you know, I'm very much opposed to the hire and fire fast methodology. I think people need to be really thoughtful about it. It's a, it's an expensive and, um, you know, it's, not, it's something that shouldn't be taken lightly. So I think that it, it varies on how businesses should be looking at these things. Like technology companies should be a little bit more, um, I think, a little bit more asset light in, in being able to assess. And then, you know, you can scale up at various points when you know you have enough business. So I think it really depends on what the business type is and then what kind of the the goal and the path to revenue generation is and then assessing it on that point. I, I love that so much. I mean, it's so well, what's great to hear is that's definitely the strategy that Carly and I have taken. But I also think it's important to recognize how hard the team aspect and managing people is because, you know, it's people's livelihoods that you convince to come along with you on this journey when you hire them onto your team. We're going through a situation right now at Garden Society where we're really focused on 
what we need to do to up-level our team. I think the interesting thing for Carly and I is that we were surprised at how quickly we would outgrow our team from a mm -hmm. business needs perspective and how fast our needs are changing. So what was just, you know, managing a trim crew has now become into managing a logistics company, which is now turning into creating demand plans and forecasting. And so that the super rocket ship growth that we're receiving as a company and we're going through right now is really hard to manage with people unless you have the right people on the team. So Okay, my question for you is how do you know when to up-level and what do you look for in up-leveling the quality of your team? Yeah, you know, I think it depends on this, the stage of the company. Um, I have been through a variety of situations, both in businesses that I've run or helped help run, you know, through portfolio companies. And, um, you know, you step in and, and the team is kind of too big and you have to make those tough decisions of, of trimming back down, but then you trim down and then you're like, wow, everybody is stretched so thin. Uh, so it's not, it's not this easy formula. I, I you know I, I really wish that it was, but I think, um, <laughs> the growth you have to really understand where is the growth coming in your business and and put resources there um so i think you know for a product company there's the element of production and is that all internal or is some of it external and who if it is external you know who's managing those processes because efficiency on, on that side of the business is really important um, it's really easy to burn a lot more than you need to depending on what that looks like. And then, you know, you your business relies on sales. So who's doing that? How does that work? How efficient is that process? And then there are other elements, you know, when you think of like marketing, design, all of that, does it all need to be in-house? Can you do some of it with agencies or teams? Uh, is that more or less efficient or cost-effective? Um, and I think that, you know, there are different points where you realize that, wow, maybe this team that I've already built isn't the right team to go to the next level. Uh, and I've certainly been in a situation like that where not always uh, the team that you put together to create a business and get it to market um, and run it for a certain period of time, it's not always the same mix of people to then take it to the next level. And that's okay. And, and I think that a lot of people have uh, trouble with that concept in that you know, you, you constantly have to be evaluating what everybody's doing mm -hmm. and totally and at what stage, you know, roles change pretty quickly. That's, that's just the nature of a startup. And that is years of startup phase. Yeah, um, totally. Except know, we're in, they, we're in cannabis. So it's dog years. Totally. <laughs> so interpret that as you will. Right. <laughs> and like what that means, but your, your needs change uh, a lot faster. And I think for founders and, and management teams, what they have to be constantly assessing is, is, is a person in the right role? Um, have, have they outgrown it or has the role changed? And is it still relevant mm -hmm. to the core of the company? And also, is the company sticking to what it said that it was going to do you know, last week or the week before? Because what I find too with startups is that uh, sometimes the goal posts shift a little bit and sometimes that's okay, sometimes it's not, right? So for uh, founders to constantly be like, okay, are we still doing what we said we were gonna do? And if we are, does it still make sense or do we need to, to pivot a little bit? Aaron, and with that teams also adjust. Yeah, I was sorry. Aaron and I spend so much time talking about like staying focused on the goal. What is our mission? What are 
for whom and for what are we building garden society because it is so easy to get distracted by shiny objects or exciting possibilities or growth opportunities and again you have to like really come back to okay is this building toward our mission or do we need to you know and you do make little adjustments like you're saying like the little goalpost adjustments um mm -hmm. but what I, the thing that i love about what you're saying is it really resonates and i think that's something that happens as an entrepreneur as you start to feel a little bit siloed or you wonder you know are other entrepreneurs having the same experience that i am or um you know is this a, a common relatable perspective those kinds of things and i know that it can really span across a spectrum but knowing that we're not alone in that and and i i hope that our listeners out there who are entrepreneurs who what, regardless of your industry and what you're building you hear that you know these are common issues and also i mean to me personnel is one of the most complicated parts of business because you're dealing with real shifting human being human beings and emotions and um it you know little things can set us off into a tailspin and um so that, that's definitely like hearing everything you're saying there is really resonates. Yeah. And especially because we talk a lot about, you know, did we make the right hire? Was this the mm -hmm. right person? Was it, were we wrong? Like, I think as females, totally. we take a lot of self-doubt, right? Like, did I do a yeah. shitty job with that? Or did I fuck that up oh, or yeah. whatever? Or like, I mean, did I hire? Yeah, oh, go ahead. Tier. No, go ahead. Tier. Say, like, the number of times that I've like hired people and been like, damn it, did I make the wrong decision? Did I assess this incorrectly? And I actually pride myself. This is one of the things that I'm like, I'm actually pretty good at assessing people for positions and, and that whole kind of human capital understanding. And I've messed it up sometimes. And I've constantly had to be like, you know, have I, did I do this incorrectly and, and try to learn from that? Or also realizes, realizing that businesses shift and yeah. sometimes people are not good at shifting with it. And yeah. that's just kind of a difference in, in, in people, right? And some people, like I came, before I came into cannabis, I, I came from pretty structured business environments. I was in financial services and from like really big companies and started to get smaller and smaller. And some people really like that kind of a structure mm -hmm. and, or just conditioned to operate that way. And so when you put them in an environment like startup land, plus add on top of that, that it's cannabis, uh, some people, you know, they, it seems like really great and everybody wants to operate there and then they get in it and they realize that it is not for them. Um, but they also have a, a tough time saying that it's not for them, right? Because everybody wants to feel like they can cut it in that atmosphere. Yep. And, and so sometimes we have to make, unfortunately, I think tough decisions for people um, or help them guide them to that understanding. And that is part of cannabis as well, which I think is an added layer of pressure for management teams and hiring teams to to be constantly evaluating that too because this is new for people and right now everybody says they want to be in cannabis and nobody knows what that means <laughs> totally right? right not even us really not even yeah. us at the end of the day I mean, we're the blind leading the blind here right like, <laughs> let's be real <laughs> totally i love that you know um somebody i think to hear you and i did the she can conference at hawk at the Haas Business School. And somebody there asked me, well, what's the hardest part of your startup? Somebody from the audience afterwards. And I said, well, what do you mean? And they're like, well, what's the hardest part of what you do? And I was like, what's the hardest part of your company? And I'm like, well, 
first of all, it's a startup. So A, it's a startup. B, it's a CPG startup. It's a product-focused startup with a retail element. And C, it's cannabis. So it's actually like the hardest startup you can do to the third factor. <laughs> so then you put the team layer on top of it, and it's just like exactly what you talk about. The blind leading the blind is a lot of what I feel like. However, I am really proud to say that um, in going out for our A, I went through some old presentations that we had done. And in July of 2016, when Carly and I were launching Garden Society, I put together a presentation around what this vision was for Garden Society. We didn't even have a name yet, but I called it the Project Maven at the time. <laughs> and the deck and the purpose was exactly what it is today. So it was really cool to see it like I mean, there's definitely been tweaks and adjustments, but like what you're saying about reflecting on your core of like, what are you doing, how important that is and how being laser focused, you can keep driving that forward. Anyway, yeah, random thing. I like to set weird goals. <laughs> Aaron, yes, as we have addressed in past yeah. episodes, Erin is a goal setter and a goal meter. <laughs> with, with my German PPT PowerPoint presentations coming out in odd ways. So Tahira, what have you seen in your experience? What have you seen as maybe a couple of the biggest mistakes that early um, cannabis companies make? in terms of scaling. And then also I would love a couple of examples of things that you've seen that really knocked your socks off. Ooh, good question, Carly. Oh, Not um, to put you on the spot. Yeah, uh, <laughs> mistakes made in scaling. I mean, they are, they are far and wide. Um, I think what businesses, uh, particularly when it comes to product development companies, you know, things that are putting a physical product out there is, um, attempting to either retrofit something that you maybe would have had an easier time just building it from the ground up to be what your needs were for that particular type of product that you're trying to build. And, you know, it kind of goes both ways, not only for cultivators, but also for, you know, CPG companies and, and trying to back into it because you're trying to patch something. And, you know, uh, this is the, this is the plight of the industry we're in. You're, you're, you're building it, but you're running as well, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, you don't really have the opportunity to hit pause, but sometimes you, you do have to make that tough decision, I think, to just hit pause and reassess how how it's all functioning. And businesses don't want to do that. And it's not like hit pause and shut down operations for a month. It's like hit pause for 48 hours and figure out, just focus on that is like, is what you're doing correct? Yeah, and I mean, it doesn't yeah. make the most sense. And you know, everybody's running around like crazy, and we're all kind of, um, you know, it's it's a arms race right now. So I understand that, but that's also kind of the position that I get to be in to see this a little bit more from the outside. And having been in it, I can understand it a little bit better. And that's what we try to advise, you know, portfolio companies and other companies that I advise. It's like sometimes it's easier to have a third party say, like, just hold on for a second. Are we? Does this make sense? Um, and, and sometimes it is, it does make sense, but I think you kind of have to be in that evaluation period. So companies, you know, you want to go big and say, okay, we're going to be at this many units and, and this amount of time. And then you're kind of stuck in something that's too big, or maybe it's too small, or you're saying, okay, we're going to be in this, in this one production facility, and then we'll just jump to another one when we're ready to scale up. And it doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. Right. You can, you have to, you have to be kind of doing biz dev all the time to make <laughs> sure that you're flowing into the next thing as seamlessly as possible and it's never seamless and we know that but 
you know, that's why I say as much as possible. And so I think those, those uh, aspects of businesses are, everybody kind of stumbles across those when they're trying to scale. I love that you mentioned, and sorry, I jumped in as you were saying that, but I love that you mentioned, it got me excited taking a pause because in 2018 for cannabis, for those listeners out there that aren't necessarily in the industry, 2018 (laughs) was an extremely difficult time for the entire industry as the regs were coming out and being written and rewritten and we were kind of being pulled back and forth around every aspect of our business. And so something that we had to do because our supply chain was kind of starting to to crumble, we had to really stop and say, okay, where are the biggest leaks? What do we need to do to, to kind of stop things up? And then what's our long-term for like, how do we find a long-term solution for this? And it's hard in the midst of it. I, I know it seems like something that might've been like, well, duh, but it's hard in the midst of it to stop and really like critically think through the steps you need to take, but also do it in a timely manner. Cause we are going a million miles a minute. We're building the plane as we're flying it. And, um, but our, our product didn't have the right quality. It wasn't, yeah, I mean, it was, we had test endless. problems. We had supplier problems. I mean, it was just endless. Yeah. And so pulling everything from the market was really rough to do. But in the end, I think it saved the brand reputation. It did. Yeah. And we did it in a, we did it early enough and in a way that it wasn't like we were pulling it because we were getting thousands of complaints or anything. It just wasn't being manufactured to the level that we needed a quality mm-hmm. that we needed. So we made a lot of changes and adjustments and we, took some time testing out different partners and we've come to a place where January 1, 2019, we were building inventory and we had a solid marketing plan behind it. And now we feel like we're finally in a place where we're scaling and we're really growing. And so taking that time to pause, I encourage everyone out there to, to do that as you're building your business. I think my eyes and lips didn't start stop twitching for like four months though. It was like <laughs> my left was going to the left and my right eye was twitching red and my teeth were twitching and it was definitely really stressful. Tahira, I would love to just sort of take things in like a side trail for a moment and just learn from you like, Aaron and I talk a lot about this is our year of joy. So we're really trying to drive everything we're doing to bring us joy. How does that like resonate with you and your lifestyle and what you do? Um, what do you do to make sure that you're not just like, <laughs> I say that after you come off this long trip, but what little things do you do either daily or weekly to kind of keep yourself, keep you, you? <laughs> oh, what does it mean to keep me, me? Um, that's a good question. I, you know, I, I try to make sure that um, I keep up my family and social life, you know, connectivity with people is that are not in cannabis is becoming increasingly important to me because, you know, it used to be that uh, I did not know that many people in cannabis and I wasn't surrounded by that many people other than my direct colleagues. And now I feel like, you know, I live and breathe it and it can be a little bit overwhelming to be just so consumed by work. Um, so I definitely try to keep that element active, which can be hard because I'm sure very similar to you guys, I'm exhausted all the time. Um, so also making sure that I have people who uh, don't mind that I fall asleep in the corner constantly <laughs> um, or okay with having dinner at like 6 p.m. and making sure I'm in bed by nine because I'll be asleep. <laughs> you know, but you know, I think elements of that are really important. Um, I am a, I'm a big uh, movie person. And so I, 
I, it's in a way for me to kind of turn my brain off um, and go into different worlds that are not what I'm constantly encountering. And um, so I, I'm someone, well, and I'm on planes a lot too. So I watch a lot of movies. That's um, awesome. But, but it's also, you know, it's something I've loved since I was a kid. And so I try to keep that element, you know, pretty, pretty active. I read a lot too. I try to read things that don't have to do with finance or cannabis or social justice or other <laughs> personal um, development. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm way more on like the, you know, fiction or nonfiction that has absolutely nothing to do with this industry. Cause you know, again, it's, it's all around you. Um, and on one side, it's really interesting and exciting that it's there, but when your whole world is constantly spinning around one thing or one group of things, I think it can, it can be really draining, really it's, overwhelming. It's really true. Um, yeah. And so, you know, even all the travel that I just ran through with you guys, uh, some of it was not work related, but it was like, okay, well, I'm, I have to go to Israel for this conference. And so if I just go a little bit further, uh, even though it's not geographically that close, I'll be in <laughs> Pakistan where my family is and I haven't been back in five years. And, you know, so why not just throw that into, and it's exhausting, but it's worth it to be able to kind of take those moments for your your non-work self. I love Definitely. that. Definitely. It does take a lot of energy to like get to really put yourself out there beyond the work, you know, like the day-to-day -day work that we're all doing. So it's encouraging to hear that you're making the time and really that you can prioritize, you know, some of that above, you know, getting one more hour of work done or something like that. I was in a book club with my girlfriends in the Bay Area and I, I won't say names. I love you all so much if you're listening, but it turned to self-help books for book club. And I was like, can we just read Game of Thrones? Or like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can't do this self-help book club. Like, I'm sorry. I just, I just have to not do this. Yeah. And especially because I was working so hard to make space to be able to be with them. And then to have the conversation turn to that, I was like, it just resonates with me to hear so much what you're saying. Because I was like, I need a break. Yeah. I don't yeah. need to talk about all the shit I need to work on because Lord knows there's a lot. And... <laughs> totally. I, yeah. I have to circle back to my last question because I really, and I think this will be actually a fun note to sort of start to wrap up on. Um, what have you seen that, and I said this earlier, has really kind of like blown your socks off in terms of a company that you, you've watched kind of from startup mode, scale into, uh, you know, a solvent bit or a, a good business and then moving on to um you know either acquisition or fundraising or whatever it is like that scaling they really nailed it have you seen a company that's really done that well and and what was it and you can say the company or you don't have to say the company yeah. either way but really what was the juice that that made that happen so i won't say the company um but i'll tell you kind of the the area that it operates in and it's a cross between it's a technology company um, that also really works in the kind of the compliance and regulatory space. Um, and I'm only not saying the company because I feel like I talk about certain companies all the time and I don't want people to think I'm totally biased. About <laughs> I, I think I know um, the company. Okay. I think I know the company and they're pretty badass. We use um, them. <laughs> and so, you know, with, um, it, it was, a, I think, a, a big vision and a slow start just given the world that we operate in and the complexity that is one when it comes to technology and cannabis, which is not as, it's 
very complicated because of the nuances of local versus state versus federal, you know, all the layers that kind of happen there, which I'm sure you guys have a lot of fun with being a product company. <laughs> um, but when you think of just how like technology has to function, it's just not that clean of a process either. Um, and so the vision that was, I think, initially painted for the company was really hard to start executing on and took, you know, two years to kind of get there because the building phase of it was so much of like trial and error and change and regulations and change, just change, constant change. Um, and technology is not, you know, you can build it really deep, uh, which then makes it more complex to adjust, or you can build it really light, which actually, you know, makes it less effective from a functionality. And you kind of have to choose that, right? And, and that's not an easy decision either. And so the company for, to really just stick with it and stick to its core and saying, we know that this is the direction. We know that this is where it's going to go. We just have to get there and start gaining traction. Um, I mean, there were times where I was like, this isn't going to work. It's dead. You know, <laughs> it's dead in the water. Um, and we kind of have to accept it. And it's probably good that I wasn't like in the company because I would have been a terrible person. To <laughs> You're like, no, stop. Game over. Let's move. Um, and I think just having the conviction that 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 thesis is constantly, you know, it's always you kind of you still have to reevaluate it and, and make sure that the thesis is correct um, and making sure that it's still relevant. And I think in cannabis, that's really important to make sure that, you know, on a monthly basis, what you're doing when if it's not in market yet is still relevant. Uh, because the relevancy of things changes so quickly in this space. And so, you know, the business is, is doing really well right now. There's a stickiness to it that I think is undeniable. Um, but it had to go through a couple of periods of, uh, you know, uncertainty. Um, cash was low, having to go through really difficult fundraising periods to make sure that they could get to that phase of like really getting it into market. Uh, and that can be really tough, you know, having a build of two or three years before you're in market is, I mean, like we said, it's dog years, right? So two or three years to build, to get a product into market, it could, you could be done before you ever get a chance to play, you know? And, um, I think just having the perseverance and knowing how to adjust with the market has really made the business successful and, uh, being able to build a core product that you can then replicate, you know, so you can learn from that first process to be able to replicate on a, on a bigger national level. It was really important, um, but it takes a while to get there to get to those efficiencies. I love that. That's really great around like knowing your, knowing your product, having conviction for it, but also knowing there's a need, right? And there's an authentic market fit for your product and building an MVP to get there. And I think that's a good like message for our listeners. If you have an idea or if you're building a business and you feel like it's just taking forever, but in your gut, you know, there's a need, there's, you know, data behind it showing that there are consumers out there looking for what you're building. Like you've got to have the grit, you've got to have the tenacity, you've got to really you know, push yourself and it can be exhausting at times um, to have that amount of patience and the, the, um, the ability to fail and try again, all of those, you know, elements of building. Um, and so to hear that that's 
the success that you've seen is a really great message, I think. I think it resonates too with Garden Society because uh, my mom and dad were visiting last week. So when you talk about family and friends outside the industry, it was so wonderful to have them. But my mom said to me on the way out, oh, I'm really worried about you. You're working too much. And, you know, I, I sat back and I, at first I was like totally miffed, let's be honest, because I was like, you told me I could work. Like you're here <laughs> to play with my son. But the reality is as your business grows, the workload and all that stuff will grow with it, right? So like now we're at this inflection point where we've gotten through the proof of concept and we're getting the traction. And just like the company you spoke about, now they're getting the traction and then growing. As the founding team, like you have to recognize, I think with growth, how like now we're at a point where we're like, okay, we're ready to scale because the workload's there, the revenue's there to support it, the traction's there to support it. And now it's like, okay, like, we're either going to drown or we need to level up our team and hire more and go through that process. But that's like part of the timing of it all. And I said to my mom, I'm like, well, this is what I get for building a company. See, it's working. If I, <laughs> if I didn't have anything to do, you'd be worried, right? <laughs> exactly. I, I think that's such a great um, message to, you know, comrades in the industry and just our listeners and okay so one more putting you on the spot to hear before we go to our spark of joy if you had one piece of advice for us at garden society going through this journey what would that be hmm that is a great question um i mean i think that, that what you constantly have to be aware of is what is going on around you and i think that as uh, as founders and people who are building a business, it's really easy to put blinders on and just be really heads down on your business. Um, and you should be, you should be really focused on that, but to not be aware of what's going on, not only with products that you would consider competitive, but the market itself um, is a big miss. And, and companies, I think often, you know, you just kind of stay out of that because you're so busy. And I found this is where I was when I was building Marley Natural. Like I just didn't come up for air enough to understand what is happening in other elements of the industry and how is that relevant to my business. Um, and I think that you guys have to, you know, make make an effort to do that on top of all of the other fun things that you're doing. And I'm sure you have nothing but time. Uh, but it's worthwhile to to be able to understand that and be more aware of the broader market because your place in it is going to uh, could potentially change based on what's happening well one of our advisors is telling has been telling us as aaron was saying as our workload has gotten so much that now it is time to up level and scale um he said you and aaron really need time for yourselves to sort of have like empty space so that you can sort of look ahead and sort of dream dream bigger and look further. And I think a big part of that is seeing the full market. So I love that you said that and brought that up. And I think that as we scale and build, Erin and I, that will make that a priority to make sure that we can make the time to do those things. It looks like I'm going to Toronto next week. <laughs> <laughs> to hear it, what flight are you on? I'll pitch you on the plane. No, there I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm no, I don't kidding. book my plane to like 48 hours in advance. You'll get you sound like Aaron. You sound like me. <laughs> yeah. I officially yeah. lost like... all my United status until now I'm gold for life, but I had the like primo primo. And then it was like, oh, wait a minute. Now I, I can't just book my flights 48 hours in advance. That's really expensive. <laughs> no, it totally is. But, uh, and I hate doing that. I mean, I am a penny pincher at my core and I am also a planner. So when you, to like book a flight, a day or two in advance, it's like going against everything that I'm wired to do. Uh, <laughs> but what I realized is that I was spending more money on change fees 
Oh, Um, my schedule just would shift so much and it still does. Right. And so now I've just, I mean, I get so angry when I book something a week out and then I have to change it. Totally. I already waited it for me. That's like the last minute. So now I just really wait until totally and I'm not happy about spending the money but honestly sometimes it's just more efficient yeah and then you, all the time it takes to book and rebook and deal with the agencies and da, 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 da. yeah totally oh my gosh everything that you have been telling us today really resonates with us in terms of scaling at this time so thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us or to be on the phone with us today to hear it's been a really fun session i i took notes for the show notes so. she was aaron was writing madly the whole time we were <laughs> yeah, talking. I was. time design money and i put a big brown face next to time <laughs> maybe that's my current state um efficiencies right roles and what is going on around you yeah i no, think this it's really was, great this was fantastic So moving on to our spark of joy. So a few episodes ago, we talked about cutting out the noise and Aaron and I have been talking a lot about how that episode has resonated with us, how we've really tried to focus on the relationships that are helping us be the best people that we can be. And so my spark of joy, our spark of joy together really is recognizing that, recognizing that the people that we have in our lives are really making a positive impact on us. We feel good about, you know, being there for them and being supportive. And I know Erin, your sister had some really cool news lately. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, it's kind of multiple. I told you my parents are visiting last week and the week before that I had uh, my best friend from college and her family on spring break. So trying to balance the social and the workload and all of that at this crazy time for us was really challenging, but giving myself permission to go on a hike in the Redwoods with my friends and just be present with no service was so refreshing. And I was like, this is why we do this, right? You texted me that, like, this is what this is about at the end of the day. My sister just quit her 10 year career at GE and she's going to work for Exact Sciences, which is a really, really, really cool biotech startup, um, health tech startup in Madison. And so giving herself permission for the change and recognizing that she was in this role where she was surrounded by people who were the culture created these manic people they weren't bad people but just the culture of everything's a fire drill everything's an emergency she's working 80 hours a week and she's a mom to two young kids and that that just doesn't support the life she wants and you know what she got a 30 percent pay raise that's awesome. because she had the courage to go like apply for a job and make the change it would have been easier to stay where she was but now she has a, a nine to six and she's an executive there and got a raise and is recognized and feels really great. Change is hard. What about you, Tahira? Did you do something either like recognition with your family time or like Pakistan? Any stories around that to share? Um, I mean, I, you know, kind of similar to your going, you know, going without service for a period of time. I, I try to do that intermittently for my, I think just for my own sanity. Um, and, but also like kind of giving yourself the space to be like, I don't have to be so available mm-hmm. to yes. everybody yes. totally uh, all the time. And I, it's, it's something that I've actually, like, I've, I have set the wrong precedent is what I've learned <laughs> in my life. Uh, because like if people text me and I don't respond in like 30 minutes, they're like, where are you? You've been you know? kidnapped. It's, it's, yeah, like, well, if it's my sister, she's like, you're dead. Yeah. Um, like, God, where are you? And if it's work, they're like, what the hell? You know, uh, because I'm so responsive. And that, you know, that's a good thing that's on one side, but it's a 
horrible thing in other regards, you know, and I want to, I've been trying to get better and it's a, it's an incremental process that I think I've been working on for now years. Uh, but trying to get better at being able to give yourself that space that, you know, come certain like Friday at like 8 PM, I'm willing to be like, no, I'm not going to answer every call that comes in and I'm going to turn email notifications off um, because I can't help but look at it or, you know, just leaving your phone uh, mm -hmm. at times or not taking it out of your pocket when you're at dinner or something like that. You know, I think there are little things that seem stupid, but at the same time are really good for us. Um, and we have to be able to do that for ourselves. And I think it's also, you know, we can't make work the be all end all of everything. Um, but we have to be able to, to put those boundaries up. Um, and I think that, you know, what I found in my life is that I, I'm the worst at it. Like I let everybody kind of come from all angles and, and be responsive. And, um, uh, but yet I don't expect that of other people. Yeah. So why I expect that of myself? Um, and I've also been in a situation where I I've had a staff and, you know, I have bugged them at all hours and have had to been like, no, this is not okay. This is, <laughs> this is Sunday. Sunday is the day of the Lord, right? Like, let people, um, give us a and, break. <laughs> yeah, give people a break, right? And you have to, you have to be able to do that for other people, and you have to do that for yourself as well. I think that is the perfect note to end on. So, all of our listeners out there, give yourselves a minute or two, or an hour. Or put, to put your phone away, away from your phone, whatever you need, whatever you can take. But I think that's such a great, a great message. Um, Tahira, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. I know you're super busy. It has been really enlightening. Thank you. It felt really good hearing perspectives from you that we resonate with, learning new things. And we hope that all of our listeners learned a little bit too. So go ahead and follow up at thegardensociety.com for podcast show notes. Will that be sure to link anything that Tahira mentioned on there? We can't wait to spend some time with you guys next time on Garden Society, the podcast. Be sure to check the podcast show notes at thegardensociety.com for a deeper dive into each episode. Engage with Carly and Aaron via social at GRDN Society. If you like what you hear, help spread the joy. Subscribe, rate, and review Garden Society, the podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Garden Society, the podcast, is produced by Joanna Newding and recorded in the Casually Baked Studio in downtown Oakland, California. Sound engineering is performed by Arnav Gupta. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.